We are continuing our uh, series on the parables. We are going through the book of Luke, and we're going through Lent. And every week, uh, one of the pastors leading up to, to Easter is actually sharing one of the parables. And so two weeks ago, Pastor Sam shared on parable of the Good Samaritan. And then last week, P. Nate shared on parable of the rich fool. And today, I will be sharing on parable of the prodigal son. And so I know uh, last week, uh, P. Nate, he was so vulnerable, sharing about his crypto greed experience, right? And I was so touched and inspired. I was like, yeah, that's good. And I was like, I want to be vulnerable. I want to be vulnerable up here. So I'm going to try to be vulnerable. And so I'm going to share that, you know, when I found out that I was doing this parable on the prodigal son, I really struggled. I struggled a lot because the response I got from everybody was like, oh, you're doing the parable on the prodigal son? What are you going to say? It's so been done, right? There's been books that have been written on the older son. There's books that have been written on the younger son. There's books that have been written on the father. Maybe there's a book that been, that's been written about the pig. I don't know. <laughs> but there's just so much material out there. And everyone's like, oh, man, everyone already knows that. What are you going to say? How are you going to keep it interesting? And even Pastor Sam, he's like, hey, I've got so much good stuff. <laughs> Talk to me if you need some of my really good material. So I felt all this pressure to bring something new, fresh, bring this revelation. And I was really struggling, right? I was like all this mounting pressure and stress. I've never really felt it with a a sermon. And so inevitably, through this, I guess, stress and struggle of bringing something new, uh, I prayed. (laughs) Went to the Lord, Lord, what's going on? Like, I, I'm, I'm clearly making this about myself, right? And so, I, this is about you. I, I knew there was something wrong. That, the fact that I was so anxious and felt all this stress. And the Lord is good. You know what he said? He said, just share about what I was trying to say. <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, yeah, that's good. I'm just going to share about what you were trying to say. And then I thought, what were you trying to say? (laughs) Right? I know. You're like, that's so silly. But these are the parables, right? It's not so straightforward. And so there is a certain mystery to the parables. Jesus says, those who have ears to hear, they'll hear. And for those, and so revelation will come. But if you don't have ears to hear... If your heart is closed, things will be concealed. And so it's not, I know it seems so obvious, like, oh, just share what Jesus wanted to share. But it's not so obvious. Like, so right now, parable of the prodigal son. Just take a quick, quick second. And in your head, in one sentence, just try to, in one sentence, say, what was Jesus trying to say about the parable of the prodigal son? Right? Not this whole story like, oh, there's a brother, but what was he trying to say? You got it? Okay, now turn to one neighbor, and both of you, take turns, what do you think it was that Jesus was trying to say? In one sentence, 
Okay. Seems like it was more than one sentence. <laughs> all right, all right. Okay. So I, I would think, I don't know, but I would think there were probably some different answers. They're probably all connected, but everyone probably shared something a little different. And so to really understand what Jesus was trying to say, we must look at context, right? And the, the most obvious context is what was the circumstance that Jesus spoke this parable? And so to do this, very simple, just go back a few verses, right, to figure out why he spoke what he spoke, right? What was the situation? So if you would turn with me to Luke chapter 15. <clears throat> so at the beginning of this chapter, verse 1 and 2, it's on the screen, is the situation. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So this is the situation. Jesus is hanging out with the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the, the sick, those that would be considered outcasts. And they're all Jews, right? And he's hanging out with them. He's teaching them. And the Pharisees and scribes show up and they see that Jesus is being so inclusive, right? And they're unhappy because they feel like, oh, these people, these tax collectors, sinners, they should be excluded. And thus, they make this statement, this man, they're kind of scoffing at him. This man receives sinners and eats with them. Kind of like, who does he think he is? What is he doing? <clears throat> and as a result, because of this statement, Jesus responds, Right, so that's the situation. He's responding, the target audience. I mean, it's everyone, but it's really the Pharisees and scribes. So he responds with actually three parables. And they're, they're the three lost parables. The first parable he shares is he shares the parable of the lost sheep. The next one he shares is the parable of the lost coin. And then the last parable he shares is the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son. Okay. But what was the purpose of Jesus sharing these parables, even? Right? This is the definition of what a parable is. Merriam-Webster Dictionary. This is the definition. A usually short, fictitious story that illustrates a moral attitude or a religious principle. Right? So a parable was basically a teaching tool. And Jesus was a masterful teacher. He was the best teacher. And he made use of this tool to help explain his truths, right? Because sometimes when he just told it as it is, and we see the disciples, the people, they just, they just couldn't get it, right? They're constantly, you know, Jesus trying to share about uh, first will be last, last but will be first. And then what is the response of the disciples? They say, who's the greatest, right? So they're clearly not getting it. And so that's why he's sharing with these parables. And there's something about parables, like why, do we, why are, they're just so memorable, right? They're, they're easy to relate to, right? There's something about parables, just, it's just a great teaching tool. And then also, is there a specific purpose? Is it just as the Merriam-Webster 
said? Is it just a, uh, illustrates a moral truth? Is that it? Or is there something more? Is there something specific that the parables are supposed to do? And this goes back to actually P. Nate's message prior to the banquet. Is it on the gospel, right? And he asked, what is the gospel? And then everyone probably had a different answer. And what was the conclusion? He said, what is the gospel? It really, the good news is a proclamation of the king, right? King Jesus and his arrival and what it will, it will bring. And that's really what the gospel is. And, you know, forgiveness of sins, um, you know, generosity, loving your enemy— those are the things that the kingdom brings, kingdom principles they bring. And so the parables, there's actually a very specific purpose to the parables. It's not just about moral revelation. Jesus' parables are about the kingdom of God. This is from N.T. Wright. This is what he said. He said, whatever the parables are, They are not, as children are sometimes taught in Sunday school, earthly stories with heavenly meaning. Rather, they are expressions of Jesus' shocking announcement that God's kingdom was arriving on earth as in heaven. Right? That's what the parables are about. I know. I was like, oh. And this was helpful for me because I was like, oh yeah, Jesus, what are you trying to say? This helped narrow down the scope to understand this parable, and what Jesus was trying to say. And so really, when we read parables, right, instead of reading a parable and asking, how is this parable about me? We should ask, how is this about Jesus and God's kingdom? Right? Instead of asking, how is this parable about me? We should ask, how is this about Jesus and God's kingdom? And so it's about Jesus' kingdom. But again, what about his kingdom? (laughs) Right? See, all these. And so just to help us out a little, I want to share with you, and this is from Bible Project, there are actually three main themes of Jesus' parable. So all parables are about the kingdom, but it falls under these three themes. The first theme is the kingdom of God has come, but in an unexpected way. And we see this, Jesus as Messiah, he's come, but he's not the Messiah they're expecting. They're expecting a conquering king to vanquish his foes, and he comes and arrives as the suffering servant. Number two is, the other theme is, the upside-down values of the kingdom of God. The upside-down values. First shall be last, last shall be first, right? The Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, these all fall under those kingdom values. And finally, the third one is the crisis of decision. And so this is another main theme that shows up in the parables. Basically, in some ways, are you in or are you you out? Are you part of the kingdom or not? Right? Are you part of what what God is doing or are you going to choose not to? And if you choose not to, based on the parables, it seems like there's grave consequences. Okay? And so... As we go through the text, you can keep all these things in mind. And just to help, I'm going to just let you know, in this parable, parable of the lost son, or the prodigal son, 
it's the main theme that is covered is the upside down value, right? So as we go through this text, the question you should ask is, what is Jesus saying about the kingdom of God and its upside down values? Okay? Remember, upside down values. There is something that is very unusual about this story that is out of the norm. And I know we are so familiar with this story, so maybe we think it's normal, but it's not. There's something about when you read it, you're like, oh, that's really not how the world works. Okay? And so we're going to just read the text together. And as we read, you can have all this in mind, right? Jesus is speaking about the kingdom. He's speaking about the upside-down values. Let me just pray. Uh, Jesus, yes, Lord, just give thanks to you for the, the fit time of family worship. We recognize you are good that uh, all our needs, your provision, your goodness, even through this parable, uh, are met because you are a good father and you've revealed us, revealed to us your generosity and love for us, Lord. Would you speak to us, Lord? Reveal to us the mysteries of the parables. You said, those with ears to hear, Lord. So we want to just open our hearts to you. Be open to be touched by you, Lord. And would you come and reveal and convict us and really transform us from the inside out, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're just going to read <clears throat> this parable first. Um, so this is Luke fifteen eleven to 31. Actually, if you can, why don't we read it together? Okay, it's on the screen, but if you want to read from your Bible, that's fine. We're reading from the NASB 1995. Okay. So verse 11, and he said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of this state that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his sense, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran at him and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put on a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fattened calf. And let us eat and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. 
Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. And he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours. And you have never given me a young goat, so that I might celebrate with my friends. When the son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. Amen. So you got the answer now? (laughs) All right. So at the beginning of this parable, verse 11, um, it starts with the younger son making an audacious request. He says, Father, give me the share of the state that falls to me. Right? This is not normal. This is out of ordinary. Right? And it, I think it has really two impacts. The first, right, it's just disrespectful. Right? Because what's out of ordinary is when do you usually ask for your, or you don't even ask for your inheritance, number one. When do you receive your inheritance is when your father passes, right? And that's when you would receive it. And so the first thing he did that's so disrespectful, what is he asking for? He's asking for the money, right? He's, he's being a gold digger, right? Gold digger son. And he's just asking the friend. He's saying, I value the money more than you. And so just give me everything he thinks. I mean, he thinks, but I don't know if he actually deserves this, but give me everything that I deserve. And so this is just disrespectful, right? If I was the father, I would be a little angry, like, that you're using me, basically? You just want me for my money? But the second thing, besides being very disrespectful, it's hurtful, right? It's really hurtful. Why is it hurtful? Well, when you, in the circumstance of receiving an inheritance, it's when someone passes away, right? And when someone passes away, if it's someone that you care for and you love, why do people mourn? Why is it so hard, right? It's because you're going to miss them, right? You're going to miss them. And even if... and, and we re- receive, I'm sure, so much comfort knowing that our loved ones, if, if, if they've given their life to the Lord, that they're going to be in heaven, they're in a better place, right? But still, you don't get to spend time with them anymore. You're going to miss them, right? And this situation where you're no longer in a relationship with your loved ones because they've left, it's not by choice, But in this situation with the younger son, he's doing it by choice. He's basically done with the father. He's saying, I don't want relationship with you anymore, right? I'd rather be on my own. And so this was so hurtful, right? I can't even imagine 
if my children did the same thing to me. I can't imagine the hurt, right? Money, one thing, right? I was like, just, you know, but if they don't want to have relationship with me anymore, I would be so hurt. And it says, verse 13, it says, many days later, was the result the younger son gathered everything together, went on a journey into a distant country, and he squandered his estate with loose living. And so that's exactly what he did. He took all his inheritance and he left. He was done, right? Gave up being a son, basically, right? And it says he went with loose living. The NIV, it's translated as wild living. The ESV is reckless living. The Greek Aramaic, it would be translated as wasteful living. And in the New King James, it's prodigal living. And that's where we get prodigal son from, right? So the meaning of when we say, oh, the prodigal son, maybe you aren't aware, it's this lifestyle of being wasteful, indiscriminate, right? That's what it means. And if we were to kind of move this to modern day, what was the son doing? He just went out and partied like crazy. That's what he did. And he wasn't thinking about the future. He wasn't thinking about his actions. He just wanted to have fun. He was very wasteful with his resources. And I really resonate with what the, with what the prodigal son did. Not now. <laughs> but it was called my first year of college. Right? And I have a lot of regret and remorse about it. Because I was just... In my own world, I wasn't thinking. My parents actually paid for my first year of education, right? They didn't ask for anything. They were so generous. And um, I just had the time of my life. I was not there for education. And that's really why you go to college, right? You know what my GPA was? Not a 2, a 0.2. I know, it's impressive. I don't think I've ever, I think I have the most impressive low GPA. But that's how much I did not go there for an education. That's how much I didn't, I just wasted away my parents' money. I was just, I don't want to go into details of what I I did. But it was a wasteful life, okay? And then in verse 14. It says, he went and spent everything. A a severe famine came, and he was impoverished. He had nothing, right? And it says, so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. And finally, he came to his senses he said, how many of my father's hired men have been more than enough, have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. So I'm going to get up, go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired men. And so we need to understand the significance of the pig, of swine. Because when I think of a pig, I think of chasil. Right? I think of prosciutto, bacon, 
pork chop curry, right? And so for me, when I think of pork, I think of something delicious, <laughs> tender, juicy, right? But that is not how the Jews saw the pig. These were not kosher animals. They were unclean. And so this is how they felt. They felt that a pig, it carries disease. It spreads filth. It is a symbol of hypocrisy because they had hooves, yet they weren't kosher. Anyway. And so as a result, the Jews would have a deep revulsion and disgust towards this animal. And I was thinking, is there, and maybe for you too, is there an animal that you have this type of disgust towards? I was going to say, PCM spoiled it. <laughs> he said, I don't have an animal that I have this type of disgust, but I have an insect that I have that type of disgust. It's a cockroach. Because it carries disease. That's how I feel. It spreads filth. And I, I really question, God, why? <laughs> why does this cockroach, why is this your creation? And I am revulsed, repulsed towards this thing. Right, and I've had, maybe it's because I've had a lot of bad experiences. I've had cockroaches crawl on my face, across my body, climb up my legs. I just, I think I'm a little bit traumatized. I know I'm like thousands of times bigger than this, right? I'm stronger, but I have some fear. And so if you do not feel this way towards the cockroach, please let me know so I can find you <laughs> in those instances. But this so to me, I was like, oh, it would be the cockroach. Now, can you imagine you came to a point in your life where you had to work on a cockroach farm? Right? These things exist. Because I remember I saw a documentary. And I was going to show you the video. But when I saw it, I was so grossed out, I could not bring myself to show you guys. Right? But this is a real thing. There are cockroach farms in China, and they're blowing up, right? Because apparently it's like a cash cow. All the pharmaceutical companies are just buying up these cockroaches to, to basically manufacture uh, pills and medicine and ointments. I know, but that's apparently it. And, you know, apparently they're a great source of protein. That's how they're promoting it, anyway. <laughs> but can you imagine? Like, maybe you're the, you're the startup, and you're doing this very unpleasant task, and you're making a lot of money, but you're the hired hand. <laughs> you're paying, like, an hourly wage to do this, and you're so hungry at, one po- at some point, you're envious of the cockroach food. At that point, I mean, I, everyone's like this. When you're at your lowest point, that's when you kind of have an existential crisis, and you start to really question what am I doing with my life, <laughs> right? Like, why am I raising cockroaches? They're disgusting. I hate this, right? And that's exactly what happened. And as he did that, he came to the recognition and revelation, which is when I used to work or be a, a son to my father, even the hired hands, the, the lowest of the staff, they were treated better than me. So why, I think it all clicked, why am I doing this? So at this point, he humbled himself, and he was like, 
I can't do it on my own. I need help, right? He realized no one was helping. All his like, party friends didn't hook him up with a job or, or feed him, right? So he had to go back. And his decision was not even to go back as a son because he gave that up, right? He asked for his inheritance. He said, I'm done. He basically canceled the father, right? And he's like, if I go back, I'm just going to just ask, make me as one of your hired men. That was the expectation. Now, verse 20, it says, So he got up and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced and kissed him. Yeah. And so for the father to see the son a long way off, right, if you see someone a long way off, He's anticipating the son's return. Because if you're working in the fields or even in just life, you're not looking far, far off into the horizon. You're just probably aware of what's around you. And so the implication is he's looking every day. He's looking out. Even though the father, I mean, the son had canceled the father, the father had not canceled the son. He was still anticipating, waiting. He's missing his son. And how do we know this? Why, why can I at least make this presumption with his looking out, right? It's because when he saw him, he ran to him and embraced and kissed him. And in the, in the Greek grammar, this kiss wasn't just one kiss. He was showering him with many, many kisses. Why this is a big deal is because this was not customarily what an older father gentleman would do. This is not just... Uh, you know, in Jewish cultures, all cultures, right? Old men, you don't run. And it's biological. It's because of your knees. <laughs> so I'm being serious, right? Like, we did uh, from the top of your head, way down to your toes. I think I only went to here, <laughs> right? Even for me, every time, if I cross my legs, I got to sit up. I'm like, all to say, the father wasn't even thinking about his knees. He just ran to his son and embraced him. And then he did, after that embrace, he did three things. He brought out the best robe. He put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And so this we might not naturally understand because we don't, I don't know, I, I don't wear a special ring or robe or sandals, Right? But what did these things signify? Well, the best robe is a sign of dignity and honor, right? So he's wearing tattered robes, right? If you don't wear any clothes, there's, there's the sense of shame. And so he gave him the best robe, and it was a sign of dignity and, on, and honor and proof of the prodigal's acceptance back into the father's life. Then there's the ring. The ring represented authority and sonship. That's what it represented. And finally, what were the sandals for his feet? The sandals on his feet was to say, you're not a servant. You're not a hired help. Because servants hired help, they would not wear anything on their feet. They would be barefoot. And so by giving him shoes again, he's saying, basically, yes, maybe you expected to come back as a servant, but you are not a servant. You are my son. And so what did the father do in that moment? He restored the son fully. He restored the son full. 
Luke 15:24, he also says at the end, he says, For this son of mine was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. My son, who was dead, has come back to life, resurrected. He was lost and has been found. And so there are three lost parables, right? In the first two parables, in the first one with the shepherd, when he finds the sheep, he says, I have found my sheep, which I was lost. The woman who lost a coin, when she finds a coin, she says, I have found the coin, which I had lost. In this parable of the prodigal son, the father says, he was lost and has been found. But this is the new and unique thing about this parable. What's added on is this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. And so all these things, lost, found, death, life, they're connected, right? Being lost, being in, in exile, being away from the father, it equaled death. And then being found, being with the father, it equaled life, resurrection. And then verse 25, it goes on. And this is a little special too because in the, in the first two parables, the story kind of ends right there when, it's, when the, the lost things are found. But in this parable, it also talks about the older son. And it says, when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back in sound. But he became angry and was not willing to join. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I've been serving you. I've never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live, and what was lost has been found. So this older brother, he is bitter, right? He, he kind of knew what was going on. But instead of going out to figure out what was going on and clarify, he first sends the help out. It's like, you go out and figure out what's going on. And then the help comes back. And still, when he finds out, he doesn't go out to find, talk to the father, join the party, the celebration. He stays in his room and he's bitter. And so the father, in his graciousness and love, comes to the older son. He initiates, right, and pleads with him to join the party. And he just starts listing the things that he's done, right? All the things, his, his obedience. And he feels entitled to more. And he's just upset, right? And that's kind of, of course, and then the father graciously responds, son, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. And that's how the parable finishes. And now, do you remember at the beginning when I said, who was the target audience? Who was Jesus talking to in this situation? The Pharisees and the scribes. 
So how do you think the Pharisees and scribes, when they heard this story, how would they have understood it? Who would they have identified themselves with? Probably, I heard a whisper, the older son, right? The older son. Well, you know, Jesus spends a lot of time, probably the majority of this story, he spends it on developing the story of the younger son. And there's a lot of detail, right, of, of what he did, what he went through. And just this kind of, if I were to kind of summarize it very quickly, this is what he said. This was the story of the younger son. It's about an Israelite son. He squanders what the father wants to give him. He exiles himself to the land of Gentiles. He becomes a slave among the Gentiles. And then he comes to his senses and realizes he's made a huge mistake. Right? Does this sound a little familiar? Maybe? Not because not I just told it to you. <laughs> but it's familiar because he is telling the story of Israel. He's telling the story of Israel. Right? Israel is the son. He takes the good things that God has given them and squandered them. And then being lost in slaves in a distant land with the Gentiles. He's telling the story of breaking covenant and going into exile. But, I'm sure this must have sounded really good, it's an invitation back into the promised land and the covenant and renewal and restoration of what was lost. And so that's how, actually, the Pharisees and scribes would have heard this story they actually identify with the younger son. Because as a nation, as a people group, that's them. That's them. But at the same time, they also resonate with the older son, obviously, right? Because just like the older brother is unhappy with the father, because he's being basically inclusive with this younger brother, and he feels this younger brother is unworthy, right? The Pharisees, that's the exact circumstance. That's the exact situation of what's happening. They see their people. They, these are Jews too, but these sinners, these um, tax collectors, right? He's saying, these people are unworthy, right? I w- we want to exclude them and not include them. And so the message that hits them is actually, you guys are all the same, right? Whether it be Pharisee, scribe, tax collector, sinner, you are all the same. You're all unworthy, and all of you deserve to be excluded. But I am including you. So how can you, right, who is unworthy, start to exclude other people? And so they are faced with their hypocrisy as they realize, I am the younger son, and I am right now the older son. And that's often the case when they're faced with their hypocrisy, they, they really have nothing to say. And so that's how the Pharisees would have kind of received this. So what was Jesus? And this goes back to the, the first and main question. What was Jesus saying about the kingdom of God and its upside-down values? 
Okay. So the kingdom of God is inclusive, right? And the means to bring about this inclusive is radical forgiveness. That is the value of the kingdom of God that Jesus is trying to bring. This is demonstrated by the father to his sons. And he's now asking the son, in this case the younger son, but he's not really, I'm sure it applies to the, the older and the younger, but you are to do the same. You are to do the same. This is radical forgiveness. And how is this so upside down? Right? How is this so upside down? Because how do we usually forgive? We forgive when people, when we feel like, you know, they understand what they did wrong, right? They've admitted their mistakes, and they've proved to us through time and trust that they are worthy to be forgiven. And then we might consider forgiving them. Isn't that how it works? Right? So, okay, but how did the father do it? He didn't really even ask them any questions, right? But right away, it was this radical uh, forgiveness and inclusiveness and acceptance. He just restores the younger son, but at the same time, also the older son, he fully restores Right? What was the, you know, he's having all these doubts, the older, fa- the older son. And the father says to them, you have always been with me. All that is mine is yours. Right? He's reaffirming and restoring the older son as well. And I want to invite uh, worship team up. And you know, this story is not just Jesus telling this parable to instruct us, you must forgive, right? Jesus is the king, and he demonstrated this on the cross for us. It says, while we were sinners, he died for us. That means in that same way, we didn't prove ourselves. We didn't show that we were worthy If anything, we showed we are unworthy by everything we did. Our our wasteful, squandering lifestyle. And yet he died on the cross for us. He suffered for us. And why did he do that? Because he loves us. And as he has demonstrated that to us, he's asking us to do the same. This is the kingdom of God. How do we bring about this unity, this this? Uh, inclusiveness. It's forgiveness, right? We recognize we are all the same. We are all sinners. We are all undeserving. And if we can recognize that, how can we impose on somebody else a higher standard? We're all the same. And this is how, as a kingdom of God, how we are to live, how we are to usher in the kingdom of God is this radical forgiveness that's based in love.
And so I wanted to also have opened the altar today for ministry time, for us to respond. And maybe you identify with uh, the younger brother where you felt like you've made a mistake, a mistake that can't be forgiven. You feel at fault and you haven't even been able to forgive yourself because you did it, right? And just like the younger son, he had to own up to what he did. Everything he did, he chose to do. But I want to tell you, we have a gracious father. We have Jesus the king who is basically the father in this story and he wants he's looking out into the horizon anticipating you to just come to him and restore the relationship and he wants to not just restore the relationship and reconciliation but he wants to restore you fully and forgive you and restore you as well But maybe you identify as the older son, right? And same, you need to run to the father. You recognize you need to forgive. But you cannot do it in your own strength. Let me ask you, why did the father forgive his son? Because he loved them. He loved them. Why do we often forgive other people? Out of obedience. If we're really to be like the Father, we need to love as a reason, or we need to forgive because we love. Right? We need to be, all the kingdom principles, we need to be generous. Not because God told us, I I don't want to take away from the obedience, but because we love them. And when we are able to be like Christ in that way, our motivation is love that's so pleasing to the Father. If my kids are generous and they say, oh, because you told me, you taught me that, that's okay. But they say, I'm generous because I love that person. Wow, the joy that brings, that would come. And so this radical forgiveness, it must start with the revelation of the Father that all your needs, your emotional needs, your monetary needs, your spiritual needs, they are fully met. And if you have that, then you can freely freely forgive and love those because you have no lack. And that is exactly, again, what the son, what the father said to the older son. He says, son, let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Son, you have always been with me. All that is mine is yours. Basically, you lack nothing. And so would you forgive your younger brother? Don't exclude yourself or put yourself into exile, but join the party. Join in on this kingdom and what God is doing to celebrate So as Nate leads, um, yeah, come on up. We'd love to pray for you. If you want to just respond, um, then I invite you up to the altar and we'll pray for you.
better than I think you are. The way you love me from the very start. So much better than I think you are. My soul knows it. Well, you're so much better than I think you are. The way you love me from the very start. So much better than I think you are. And my soul knows it. Well, God of second chances, you've been writing my story all along. You're the God of new beginnings. Grace has always kept me in your arms. You're so much better than I think you are. The way you love me from the very start, so much better than I think you are. And my soul knows it. Well, you're so much better than I think you are. The way you love me from the very start, so much better than I think you are. And my soul knows it. Well, my soul. So much better than I think you are. The way you love me from the very start. So much better than I think you are. And my soul knows it. Well, you're so much better than I think you are. The way you love me from the very start. So much better than I think you are. And my soul knows it. Well. Let's rise to our feet. Let's worship the Lord. Let's respond by running to the Father. Whether you identify with the younger, the older, or maybe even both. The result is the same. It's the Father. The Father who is gracious. The Father who is forgiving. Who is merciful. Who is ready restore you and if if you're dealing with it's trouble with unforgiveness and you want to obey 
You're like, Lord, I know I should do this, but there is not love in my heart for this. Just go to the Lord. Let the Father speak words of love that is so affirming and reassuring into your life that you can just forgive in love, not just obedience. So just take a minute. If that's you, you know, just offer your heart to the Lord. Yes, Lord, we just offer our heart to you. Cannot do it. can't do it in our own strength. I need you. Like, it's so hard, Lord. I've carried a burden for too long on mine. I wasn't created to bear it alone. I hear your invitation to let it all go, and I see it now, I'm laying it down, and I know that I, we'll sing it again, it's called Run to the Father, I've carried a burden, I've carried a burden. Too long on mine. I wasn't created to bear it alone. I hear your invitation to let it all go, and I see it now. I'm laying it down, and I know that I need you. I run to the Father, I fall into grace. I'm done with the hiding, no reason to wait. My heart needs a surgeon, my soul needs a friend. So I'll run to the Father again. And again, and again, and again. Oh, 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 and again, and again. Oh, 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 you saw my condition. You saw my condition. Had a plan from the start. Your son for redemption, the price for my heart. And I don't have a contest for that kind of love. I don't understand, I can't comprehend. All I know is I need you. I run to the Father. I fall into grace. 
I'm done with the hiding, no reason to wait. My heart needs a surgeon, my soul needs a friend. So I run to the Father again and again. And I run to the Father, I fall into grace. I'm done with the hiding, no reason to wait. My heart needs a surgeon, my soul needs a friend, and I run to the Father again and again and again and again. Oh, 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 and again and again. Oh, 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 my heart, my heart has been in your sight long before my first breath. And running into your arms is running to life from death. And I feel this rush deep in my chest. Your mercy is calling out. Just as I am, you pull me My heart, my heart has been in your sight long before my first breath. Running into your arms is running to life from death. And I feel this rush deep in my chest. Your mercy is calling out just as I am you pull me and I know I need you now I run to the Father I fall into grace done with the hiding no reason to wait my heart needs a surgeon my soul needs a friend so I run to the Father again. again. Well, I, I feel like uh, God is um, asking, asking us, uh, as we are in the house, um, like we are the son in the house, and I feel like God is asking us to agree with uh, his heart. He's looking forward for the prodigal sons to come home. And so that's, uh, that, that's just, um, yeah, agree, say, Amen to what is um, in God's heart because He is looking forward for the Father's sons to come. So, Father God, we just I want to say yes to you. We just want to say Amen to you because you are calling back your Father's sons, Father God. And as we as we are in the house of your of our, our Father, Lord, we just want to um, pray and we just want to. Proclaim this uh, this uh, a prayer uh, from uh, as from the heart of uh, our Father God, and so, Lord, we just want to say yes, yes, Amen to what is in your heart. Your will be done, Father God. We are ready, Father God, to welcome the prodigal sons, Father God. 
we are, we want to say um, yes. We are, we want to. We are willing to receive. Yeah, we are willing to receive them. We we are willing to celebrate their life with you because uh, once they are lost, but now uh, they are found. So yes, Father God, uh, prepare uh, SP, Father God. Um, prepare our hearts, yeah, to be welcome and to receive and welcome um, our lost brothers and sisters to come home. In Jesus' name, I pray. you yes how do we bring about the kingdom of God it's, it's radical forgiveness in the Lord's prayer it says forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us I know it's so hard to do I know this is one of those upside down values but this is the kingdom principle that the king Jesus wants to bring in his kingdom that we would forgive. Mm. I just felt, can we just end the service with the Lord's Prayer? Yeah? Yeah. Um, I know we might have different versions, but let's do this together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Let me just give you the benediction. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, shalom from this day forward. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.